That was his New Zealand. New Zealand, wasn't it? Sounds I, right. I don't remember. I, I remember the character. I don't remember him ever having a proper name, though. I, I know all the major Muppets and the major Sesame Streeters. I just there's just those few. Yeah, I know Sweetums. Oh yeah, yeah. but there's but you know there's and Deb didn't. She was totally wrong on Sweetums. But there's those few characters I just don't know their names. Well, yeah, and it's always fascinating. Like those background characters you only saw once or twice. The puppets all had proper names, even if they did not get their names spoken on right. the episodes. What's, what, like, like, well, like, what's the one that has that really dark visage, long beak, and the little strings of gray oh, coming God. down from, yeah. his, um, from his maw? Oh, that's uh, Rapey Joe. They, they, uh, <laughs> they, they discontinued that. The, the mother's groups had a problem. Uh, I can yeah. see why. Uh, <laughs> that's a weird one. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's true. So, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, there's those, all those little esoteric Muppets that just filled out the background and just appeared forward every now and then and (laughs) went away for a while. It's funny, too, because the puppeteer spent all that time sculpting and putting it together and then does the voice and they try out and they're all like, eh, what else you got? (laughs) (laughs) God damn it. I'm sorry, Rapey Joe. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 720. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Vlarg. With Professor Big. What the fuck what was, was that? that? Oh, he, he brought oh, it to okay, the show. Okay. And he put a stick in it, too. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, well, first we have yeah, to... You do the yeah, yeah, we got to do, do the thing. thing. <laughs> we were not prepared for this at all. Nope, wasn't ready for that one. Hey, well, dumbass, he... you're on the radio, not television <laughs> moment, sponsored by Mad Martron. Remember, kids, we can't see shit, so make a goddamn noise and talk mm. about your cheese. What you mm. can't see is Steve Biggs eating a Colby Jack block of cheese Whole, like an ice cream bar. Whole block. He just stuck a... A popsicle stick. Right, right in the end and just having mm, a munch. Gross. <laughs> a gross... <laughs> I mean, you know what? I can't say that, no. It's not gross. It's cheese. It's good. It's, it's disturbing. Just, it's a lot of cheese. <laughs> Yeah. That's the that's the issue. It's not that is cheese. It's the amount of cheese. It's a lot of cheese. And when you have cheese like on a cheese plate or something... You probably consume that much, but it's in little bites on on crackers. (laughs) This is a little bite. With accoutrement. (laughs) One, no, it isn't. And two, that's not right at all. (laughs) Nope. That just makes me feel uncomfortable looking at it. But but here's the thing. I would have no problem having a hunk of cheese, biting a big old chunk off of it, and going, that's good, and maybe having a few more bites. It's the whole aspect of sticking something up its ass. (laughs) To hold it like a popsicle. Right, and with the knowledge that it's not three bites of cheese, it's going to be all the cheese when you do that. All the cheese. It's revolting. Maybe maybe that's the sticker. A picture of Steve with a cheese bar and this caption reads, all the cheese. And of course... It's all the cheese. And of course, uh, Colby Jack is the Appalachian mobile home of cheese, so... (laughs) (laughs) I like that. It is. 
What? Good, it, good it, choice it, there. It, it's not the it's not the streamliner. It's not the, <laughs> <laughs> the airstream. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's the used Winnebago that's been out in the rain <laughs> the, of cheese. That, that goes on the back of a pickup. <laughs> it's the fifth wheel of cheese. Uh, now, before we get into what we did this week and get into news, uh, first of all, I want to say Happy New Year, everybody. Let's uh, make Happy this next one a good one, right? And I think the best way to kick off a new year is with new exciting things. So to go with that cheese, I've oh, picked God. the perfect aperitif. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. Aperitif. I have brought a what's going in my mouth with uh, Barry. Go ahead and take a look. Oh, oh my God. Lord, no. Oh, my God. Lester Fixins mustard flavored soda. <laughs> yeah. Y'all yes. get your fixins. <laughs> oh. It's going to go perfect with the cheese. Yeah. Maybe we should grab you some pancetta. <laughs> yes uh, if you're not familiar lester fixins is a soda company that only does weird flavors of soda and took a trip to uh, california a week ago and gosh darn if we didn't stop at the little alien not the little alien the uh, a- alien, alien fresh, fresh. Now, don't talk with your mouthful. Alien fresh jerky. Gross. Wow, he's not going to talk for half the show. And you know how some oh, some products have like a little story in the back? Old Lester Fixin was uh, seated around the mustard pile and did a whole thing or whatever you do with mustard. No, there's no story. It's just mustard flavored soda. And the uh, like the, it or don't. All right, the cover the uh, the sticker on the front. This is designed like mustard. It looks like a mustard mm. bottle. So, so Lester Fixins, thank you. I grabbed four sodas while I was there. So this is going to be the first of four oh, of uh, upcoming Geek Shocks. Upcoming? Not we're not gonna. Like, oh no no no! We're no, going to spread these once? out. No, <laughs> no, I because you put two Lester Fixins together, you have an epicac. That's the way it just goes. <laughs> <laughs> I can hardly wait for Lester Fillin's epicac flavored soda. Uh, they kind of all are. <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to put my cheese down. Yeah, oh. yeah, put down your half a block of cheese that's left. Okay, that's another, we got to figure that one out. Steve's saying, uh, am I going to have to put my cheese down? <laughs> so, gentlemen, cheers to 2024, Lester Fixins. What a way to bring it in. Yeah, bring, bring it in literally. And... Uh, Oh, my oh, God. Oh, this smells very... It oh smells God. like mustard. Oh, my God. No, it smells like plastic, like really industrial plastic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. so gross. <laughs> All right, let's try it. not too bad. Oh, no, it's bad. Oh, it's really bad. You're right. It tastes like burnt plastic. <laughs> I don't get any mustard like, in that yeah, at all. It does not taste like mustard. Wow. No. The smell. Ooh, I the got, aftertaste. I got spicy brown mm. mustard in... Right on the, the tip of my nose, I could smell that. You're but insane. the taste, not at all like no, mustard. No, this isn't. It's like burnt chalk, maybe? <laughs> burnt chalk. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like uh, like if you'd put your box of pastels uh, on the dashboard in uh, the summer and then decided to eat one. Uh, pastels. I, I don't, what? <laughs> well, and the box melts on it. Like the plastic box melts on the pastels, and then you eat one. Pastel what? Pastels, the uh, pastels, the, 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 the drawing shock. media. Oh, okay, the oh. art, art. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I was thrown there for a second too. <laughs> I was like, oh. is that the little white chocolate oh. things that are like nice, a light green and a light pink? <laughs> <laughs> the smell of this is 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 my body telling me I shouldn't drink this. 
it, it's like a my brain is giving me a warning. Wow. The flavor is completely indescribable in the fact that there is very little flavor there. Yeah. There's a hint of sweetness and a lot of carbonation, but underneath that is plastic. It's yeah. so bizarre. You smell the mustard as your as it approaches your face, but then when you <laughs> <laughs> smell you smell the mustard as it approaches your face. I think that's the next, <laughs> the next Not album. as you bring it but, to your face, as it approaches your face. It has zero mustard flavor. Yeah. It's really bizarre. All right. I'm back to the cheese. I don't blame you. <laughs> By the way, it's not Lester Fixins. It's Lester's Fixins. See that bald uh, guy with the glasses? I, I like it better that Fixins is his last name. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with it. <laughs> that's, that's my head cannon. So here we are, gentlemen. A brand new year. What did you what did you do in this last week of goodness that was geeky? Uh, you know what? Throw it off a little bit. Uh, I was going to go to Steve, but I can't. His mouth is full, <laughs> full of, of cheese. cheese. Yes. Steve, Steve, enjoy your so meal. Gross. Jeff, <laughs> what, <laughs> Jeff, what did you do this week? Oh, my God. So... I actually have a bunch of things, but I'm only going to do a couple. I'll save it for another show. Okay. Um, I went and saw Wonka. Wonka. The I went in with very minimal expectations. I'll just put it that way. Understandable. I was pleasantly surprised. Hey. I actually really adored this movie. Now, I know Barry will hate it because it is a musical. Oh, I hate it. And there's a lot of singing and dancing, uh. but it's good singing and dancing. I was very impressed. The cast, kill, I mean, it's a lot of people that you're going to say, oh, I know that person from this thing. You know, you may not know the, the actor's name, but it's a lot of these familiar faces. You've probably seen them in a lot of British TV shows. So, you know, there's going to be a lot that you're going to recognize here. So, uh I I actually was very pleasantly surprised. I mean, most time prequels I'm not too fond of because I feel like they don't really capture the the look or the feel, but this just was really well done. Um it was really <clears throat> I see what he did there. I mean, well, if it's done well. There's a lot of lot of subtle and not so subtle social commentary, so, you know, that's what a good movie does especially when it does it subtly but good lord he's down to one bite of cheese jeff <laughs> one big ass bite of cheese I, I okay for context here ladies and gentlemen 10 minutes into the I, show we he started two minutes in with this bullshit that means he put that thing down in eight jeff yeah what no he took four giant chunks out of that in just the what two and a half minutes i've been talking uh, apparently he's ready to go for his turn and just wants to get it out of the way. Literally, there is a one inch by one inch chunk of this thing left. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, what is happening when, right now is a cry for help. When I started talking, <laughs> that thing was two thirds left. It's an eight ounce block of cheese. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, and he stopped to take some mustard soda, so we can't even count that in. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Have you uh, ever had mustard and cheese? It's good. It is. That's Depends on the a cheese. Good combo. Depends on the cheese. <laughs> uh, what cheese wouldn't work, Jeff? What's I the cheese that is not mustard friendly? Uh, oh, wow. Um, you're going to. You totally I don't derailing. Talk, I just Jeff don't want to talk about cheese right now. 
as much as I love cheese, I'm completely grossed out by cheese right now. All right, all right, all right. All right let's go back to it. Then, okay, Wonka. So, what what cheese would Wonka like? Oh God. <laughs> From under. <laughs> Uh, probably something that would pair well with chocolate, I would imagine. <gasps> Which would be? Which would be? What would you know. say where you work if they uh, said, uh, what chocolate would this cheese go with? We don't. I would have think a nice brie. <laughs> a nice brie, maybe? We don't have We're going to go with brie. Larson? Yes, brie Larson is yes, the best brie Larson and chocolate, yes. <laughs> yes, please. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'm, yeah, actually, yeah. All over that. So, so Jeff, do you like Wonka then? I like Wonka a lot. Uh, is it a perfect movie? No, it, it has its faults, but they're so minor. Is it the um, singing or the dancing? <laughs> neither. See, you said something that was incorrect earlier. It's, you, you said you, you, the singing and dancing was good. See, I would yes, like it's it. Really good. It doesn't matter if it's good or it's not. It's singing and dancing. I said I don't you would hate it. it. I said you would hate it. Yes, you said I'd hate it, but the singing and dancing was good, implying that somehow I don't like it, but I don't like singing and dancing because they're often not good. I wouldn't know the difference. Yes. I hate it. I, I just meant because it's got singing and dancing in it, you wouldn't even give it a try. Yep. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yet, anyway. Glad we hashed that out. And you, bring that liked, shit, uh, you bring that shit to me, man. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, anyway. Don't like singing and dancing. Can't eat cheese anymore. Oh, Fuck my life. <laughs> I'm just terrible, I guess. Well, I don't See, know. I'm, I'm eating the cheese for you. And talk about it. And, oh, I'm living vicariously through you, so I should bring you more cheese. I wonder I, if that's ever going to happen. What, if I should bring him like a no. big thing of Mount Tam or something? Will that? Will it, will it ever happen that Steve can't have cheese anymore? Oh, oh that would oh. kill him. Oh. Well, Barry. Like, probably both literally and figuratively. <laughs> You're in luck because there's plenty of mustard soda left, and there's neither singing nor dancing nor cheese in that. So you're good to go with that. There you go. Gross. Jeff, what else you do? <sighs> <laughs> uh, I also got a chance to watch uh, a documentary. Haven't been able to watch many of those lately, but I watched Attack of the Doc. Uh, this is Chris Gore's documentary about uh, not specifically G4 TV, more specifically about Attack of the Show, yeah. but how it basically made G4 TV and also the canceling of the network and how that uh, how that show was so integral in the rise and fall of the network. And uh, it's, it's really fascinating. Now, Chris Gore had originally pitched it as a, an interview-based... Uh, documentary and instead he made it more of a narrative documentary um, he did a lot of interviews audio interviews with a lot of the uh, behind the scenes personnel so the writers producers as opposed to like the hosts and uh, I, I got to watch him talk about in the, um, a separate interview why he approached it that way and he said well if I made it about the people who were on the show that would have changed the narrative structure because while it's still a valid story that's their story to tell i wanted this to be my version of the story to tell based on my experience with the the various hosts and my own personal interaction with the show and i also wanted to get an idea of the types of stories that the the different producers and writers would have about you know the things that you see on screen, how 
those came about and then the aftermath like one of the ones they talk about is the the giant uh chocolate cream pie that both kevin and olivia jumped into (laughs) and how because that chocolate pudding went literally everywhere in their studio uh, they had to hire a company that had a septic pump to come and suck the chocolate pudding out of the container that they had put that into. But then they had to hire multiple cleaning crews to come in and clean the studio because any missed piece of that pudding stunk up the studio for months. Yeah. And they said you had to go in and produce a show every single day while this studio just reeked of rotten dairy and i'm sitting there thinking i'm like wow that's the kind of things you don't typically hear about when you you know are presented with i bet you know, that's what steve's stomach like smells like <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out probably in about 15 20 minutes oh yay uh but what's also uh amusing with this is uh zach selwyn who was also part of the show and uh it's kind of for, kind of known for doing comedy music uh Chris Gore brought him in to do uh, transition music. So like when they're moving from one theme to another, you know, there's a lot of storytelling to do about how they transition to that. So Selwyn does it with a song and talks about, you know, the things that happen between this part of the narrative and the next part of the narrative. Like you can't do that anymore. This stunt, this stunt, that stuff can't do that anymore. So... Uh, it's a really fascinating documentary. Um, I highly recommend checking it out. I believe it is available on Prime Video, but I know for a fact it is also available on YouTube for free. Uh, doesn't matter what plan you have with YouTube, whether it's the ad version or the ad free. Um, it is available. Um, I know it's available on multiple platforms and... I should have looked that up before I started talking about it, but um, I do know for a fact it's available on those too. Yeah. So it was they actually they were all at uh, WonderCon about two years ago, two three years ago. Yeah, that was probably after the the successful Kickstarter because they've had yeah. they had one unsuccessful Kickstarter and then they tried it again and then had a successful one. Yeah. So and it, and he he showed a bunch of in progress clips and stuff and I. I never watched Attack of the Show, and I was like, oh, that looks like it would have been been fun, but oh well. Yeah, um, so, okay, (laughs) it is available for free on Tubi and YouTube, and I believe it's for a small fee on Prime Video, but I just watched it on YouTube. It is completely free. It's an hour and a half long. Um, I definitely recommend checking it out. So that's what I did. All right. Uh, Steve, keep working with that cheese in your belly. Chris. Barry, Vlarg, what did you do this week? Uh, wow. Um, I've been kind of busy, and Deb's been really busy. So we haven't had a lot of time to do stuff. But what time we did have, we really played the shit out of Minecraft. Um, the Minecraft server, the Geek Shock Minecraft server, available to all Kofi members, uh, is is happening again? People are starting to log on again. Yay! Uh, Life back into there. Yeah, yeah. We're building Tatooine right now. Fun. Like three hundred by three hundred and change. It's going to be ginormous, uh, and we're building it like twenty blocks up in the air, so we can use all the area underneath. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna be doing Minecart Marksman Madness again in Tatooine. Uh, we've got Star Wars music playing in the game. Oh, nice. Stormtroopers in the game. It's gonna be a big deal. Um, that's 
taking up a lot of time. That will do it. So yeah. all of Tatooine or like are you specifically doing, say, Moss Eisley, Moss Espa? Just a little bl- block of it. Okay. Just a little block of it with, you know, Millennium Falcon. Because, and- yeah, I know the planet itself is a lot of nothing spared with little, you know, townships, but... No, we're not. I was just curious planet. No, how just, much of it you were doing. About 300-ish by 300-ish. Okay. That's huge. A block of Buzz Eisley. Yeah. A giant-ass block that's going to take us a month. A giant-ass block of scum and villainy. A giant-ass block of Colby... J- really? Colby Jack Cheese. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Somewhere, somehow, in some game, Steve has to play a character named Colby Jack. <laughs> yeah, that's your next character in <laughs> Um But I've also been playing a lot of Far Cry 6. Far Cry 6 is great. Yes, nod. Yes, he's nodding. Uh, it's on uh, Xbox Game Pass, so it's free to me because I have Xbox Game Pass. And it's one of those games that makes Xbox Game Pass worth it. Where Assassin's Creed Mirage was boring as fuck from the beginning, this is just the opposite. Oh, yeah. No, this right out of the gate, you love this game. And it stars Giancarlo Esposito. He's so good. As El Presidente Anton Castillo. And it's kind of like Cuba, and you're trying to, you're the Libertad, and you're uh, trying to free the people from his iron grip. Revolution is always a fun video game. Oh, and it's really good because you got to free like these three different areas, and you got to get all these allies on your side. And there's this whole host of goofy characters, and the music's good. And it, it kind of makes me want to have Mexican food. I really dig it. <laughs> I just read a thing the other day. Related to what you're talking about. And I'm curious as to what the rest of the cast thinks. Mm. I, the, the theory was, if you have a poorly or not properly fleshed out villain, just cast Giancarlo Esposito <laughs> as that character, and suddenly you have a character with major gravitas. That, I can see it. That man adds mystery to whatever he does. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But, and I, I couldn't I couldn't disagree with the, the premise. I'm like, I mean, it may not be 100% accurate, but it seemed pretty plausible. Well, if, if I think about it, the villain he's playing, Castillo, is very fleshed out. V- lots of story in this. That's what Far Cry is known for. Yeah. Great villain. Amazing story. But his delivery really makes this game like a lot. That man has menace even when he's smiling. Then this is going to be my greatest praise for the game is this. There's three modes you can play. Story mode where things are easier, but you get to actually experience the story. Like normal mode, which is actually kind of challenging. And then like the kick your ass mode, difficult, whatever it's called. I'm playing on normal, which is actually very challenging. It's challenging in that some missions I got to play a couple times because I'll die or do something dumb. But it's not so challenging I want to throw the controller through a window. You know, I have not rage quit yet. Uh, it's one mission I got real close, but it didn't make me want to do it. I, I approached it from a different way, and I got it. And you can do that with these missions. You can stealth them. You can go loud. You can parachute in and blow everyone up. It's just, it's nuts. There's a lot of options. Open world games only work if one of two things. One, the world itself is so enticing you want to learn more about it. Or you have enough story to give you enough passion to get you to do all the fun things out in the world. Yeah. And Far Cry is of the latter. Yeah. Far Cry 5 made me want to rage quit a couple of times. Yeah. Because I would get stuck in certain situations where 
people were just spawning out of nowhere <laughs> and they all had machine guns and I'm by myself with like a shotgun or something. Yeah, Far Cry 5, I agree with that. And Far Cry 5, I wasn't 100% on because some of the story didn't make any sense. I like, still love well, five. I still love it. No, no. But some I, of it just well, didn't I make mean, sense. it could be where you, I mean, growing up in the Midwest and growing up in an area where you have these fundamental churches that, that are, part made sense. I'm talking about what exactly did the the sister do? Oh, okay. To cre- you know, it, it, well, I mean that that type of cultish behavior didn't surprise me, and I thought it was a great premise for the game. I love the game. Don't get me wrong, but man, there are certain times where you're on a mission and you don't think you did anything wrong you're just driving by and all of a sudden you got a target on your back and there are thousands of fuckers from literally nowhere shooting at you and you have nowhere to go no yeah now so this is not that problem you're having there is multiplayer available i don't care about it you don't have to it's not like the primary point of the game it's totally a secondary type part of the game um i don't want to play with anybody else you can, and it can help you, but you don't have to, and I like that. Well, most people prefer to play with themselves than with others. I'm just going to let that fly out there. <laughs> I think there's one other game you need to bring up. Oh, that's right. Let's talk about grass hoping. Oh, it's time for Barry Steamer. Insert music we don't have here. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Barry Steamer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with that. That's that. There it is. Fine with There's it. the music. We just need a little hiss of steam after. Very <laughs> <laughs> um, steamer. The carpet cleaner. Oh, that's wrong. No <laughs> carpet. No. <laughs> well, you might need that. <laughs> Grass hopping. Hoping hop is a game. That's it the game on, you chose. That's the game I chose. And you chose. said it is spelled incorrect. Correct. It, yeah, it is you? spelled grass hoping. Okay. I, I think they just misspelled it. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think they actually gave it any thought. Right, because, I mean, you, you mentioned that before. I just was verifying for the audience that, yes, they misspelled hopping to hoping. Now, did they also misspell grass? Because you did when you posted that you were ready to talk about it. Oh, did I? Yeah. Oh, that was just a typo. Okay. <laughs> you speak typo. Um, it is a game where you are, okay, they drop you into this with mm, no instructions whatsoever. You figure it out real quick by looking at the controls. Hop, move. That's about it. Okay. So you're a grasshopper. Okay. And you hop around on, it's like a little platformer. You're you're in a stream. Well, well, well here, let me give the official description here. Okay. Humanity has polluted your home, and it's time to look for a new paradise. Yeah. Hop your way through history, but be careful. Water and currents may dissolve your progress to nothing in this challenging 3D platformer. Yeah, does that uh, color it right? Yeah, it colors it right. So I'm hopping along. Hop, hop, hop. Oh, I missed a thing. I, I get thrown in the water, and you get sent back to the beginning. Okay, fine. Hop, hop, hop. I finally get somewhere good, like I'm on top of a stump, and I gotta hop on top of this other thing. And I've, I made it fairly far. It's taken me like 20 minutes. I, I miss hop because it's hard to judge. And then I get in the water. I'm like, okay, well, maybe it'll only wash me back to a little. No, it washes you all the fuck way back to the goddamn beginning. Of course it does. And sometimes it does say you challenging. Can, sometimes you can save it and kind of oh. hop on to stuff. But there's no accuracy in it. You lose all your... 
progress just as much like half of the time and the other half you maybe save a little bit of it and after and i i said you know i'm gonna give this a try a, a second time because the first time i rage quit i was like fuck torgo fuck this goddamn thing no i'm gonna i'm gonna power through and i got farther i'm like okay i know this puzzle now jump here jump here jump here jump with this you you are destined to fail at this game because you need to fail in order to know how where and how to jump the proper way and when you fail there's a very good chance your ass is going all the way back to the beginning <laughs> fuck this game and anyone who made it well you have to fail in order for the dopamine rush to have an effect when you actually do beat it the dopamine rush is not an as it does not counteract the <laughs> the mustard soda flavor of defeat. Mm. <laughs> All right, so we'll give it a rating: one out of ten polluted planets. How many do you give it? Oh, I give it a two. Oh wow, it's That's terrible. But they're polluted pan planets, well, so sure, a two sure. is good. Yeah, right, so yeah. it's not as many as ten. So no, that's yeah. a pretty good review. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I thought ten was good. It tends a lot of polluted planets, dude. That's awful. Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. What kind of monster are you? Okay, wow. then, then eight. <laughs> oh, so you really oh, liked it. Whatever one was bad. I give it two really bad things because it's bad. I give it two. <laughs> one sharp poke in the eye. How about that? One mustard-flavored oh. soda in the mouth. I Ooh. love that Barry's rating system pokes in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> And there's no rhyme or reason to whether it's low or high matters. The point is, I don't ever want to play this game again. <laughs> and it's going to rot in my Steam library now. <laughs> All right, so uh, next week I'll put together another Barry Steamer, and we'll, uh, we'll see what happens from there. Oh, joy. Barry <laughs> Can't steamer. wait. Steve! Now that you've processed some cheese, what Has do you do this week? Has it processed yet? Yeah. Or will it take 10 days for it to go through? <laughs> no, no, it don't take no 10 days. <laughs> it moves fast. Well, it's because he's eating those gummies. Yeah, it moves through. Uh, did you? Are you seriously still eating those? I have finished the bag. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're not for human consumption. <laughs> So yeah, I didn't even put that on there. Yes, I did my oh. uh, I did my experiment and uh, your experiment. <laughs> explain, explain experiment. So this is you Steve's Doctor Jekyll moment. <laughs> yes. So just his ass turns was, into Mister Hyde. I was in my lab, meaning I was sitting at my computer and had the uh, the bag of keto gummies that we talked about a oh, couple no. ago uh, <laughs> sitting there. Terrible. And I, what I have this what I discovered. Uh-huh. A handful was just right. Just right for what? They don't even taste good. <laughs> you know. Just right for, for what? what? Uh, not uh, destroying some Superman jammies in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how do you know? Because you have to have pushed that line a little bit. I did. <laughs> I've got I it. I did because I was playing Civ Five. Everyone take a drink. And had the, had the bag of gummies sitting there and just lost track of how many I was eating. Oh. Uh, thankfully, I did not go to sleep. <laughs> so gross. I was sitting there just about to wipe. Uh, Excuse me? Wipey? Just about to wipe? Well, I, was, I was about to wipe Rome oh, okay, okay. off the face of the planet and was like, oh, no, I got to wipe something else here. So, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I've got it. Those keto gummies, 
They're the white claw of gummy bears. I, I said that when we talked yeah. about it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Steve, this. how many polluted plants would you give those keto gummy bears? <laughs> uh, the gummies polluted uh, <laughs> the solar system, I think. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I basically had to have a roommate talk with Steve on Open bathroom the window. conduct. Because... Uh, <laughs> The the Glade uh, bathroom spritz was not doing the trick. <laughs> so, wow, that bad. And huh? the, the the bathroom that Steve uses is right underneath the air intake for the HVAC. No. So, so yeah, that stuff gets sprayed. No. <laughs> so that is just poor design. <laughs> that is poor ventilation design. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. Anyway, so I hadn't even planned to talk about that. So you guys talked about a John Scalzi book, um, the one that talks about the um, person who's like an assistant to some supervillain or something like that. The the one with the cats? No, the supervillain's assistant or something like that. No, that's the one I'm about to talk about. Yeah. Well, what the hell one was it? I don't know. You guys said you read it on the cruise and Todd, you said you yeah. read it. Oh, 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 oh. oh wait. What? The Supervillain Society, something like that. It's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I talked about seeing a book called The Assistant to the Villain by Hannah Nicole Murrer, which I had to finally look that up because it's got 5,000 vowels in it and two, two consonants, um, that is based on her TikTok videos. And... And I was walking through Barnes and Nobles, and it was on their, you know, buy one get one for half price. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I, I, I had to give up the, uh, the, you know, the red uh, dye on the page uh, edges. Sadly, I, they what didn't have, they didn't have that edition. Did it, it was a starter villain. Starter villain. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, but so you got assistant to the villain. Assistant to the villain. Okay. And um, and it was pretty funny. Um, it's it's very Princess Bride esque. It did have one thing that kind of started to weigh on me as it went on, and it got a little it got a little romance novelly. Aha! And uh, and I was like, oh, okay. It's still funny enough, that, and and the characters are compelling enough that it's keeping my interest. And there's a real nice uh, twisty twist uh, towards the end. What a twist! At the one other thing, though, that I was just like, you have got to be fucking kidding me. It's a cliffhanger. No. No. Yeah. Part one of three. Part one of who knows. Right. Part one of she better hope this thing sells so she can write that second one at least. That's pretty so, ballsy. I mean, yeah. How many books has she written before that? This, I think, is number one. Yeah, that's pretty Ooh. ballsy for your first book. Yeah. Now, it has been a bestseller, so I'm guessing they're... So they're, no worries, then. I'm hoping, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it was enough that I do actually want to read the next book. Okay, that's high, high enough praise. Yeah. and um, But yeah, and it's goofy and it's fun, and, you know, and of course I'm casting the thing in my head as it's going along. Uh, I'm so... <laughs> <laughs> Cliffhangers just have really gotten under my skin in the last couple decades. Yeah, and especially for a book, which, yeah. I mean, because, you know, best case scenario, we're talking at least a year. Right. And that's and that's if it gets published. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, frankly, then, I, I don't mind a cliffhanger as long as the story itself was somewhat complete into its own time. Yeah. It wasn't. Or, okay. or if it's a, like a TV show 
please be guaranteed that you get that second season before you execute a season-ending cliffhanger. Because there's so many shows that I've watched that <laughs> end on a cliffhanger that you never get a resolution yeah. for. Alf. Well, Steve, <laughs> uh, Jeff, if, if cliffhangers get under your skin. Oh, oh so shit. badly. <laughs> oh, oh, I hate you. You had me. You got me. Oh, oh. I'm like waiting. I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. The, and, the sad thing is, like, somehow I knew exactly what you were going for. And Barry had the reaction that you wanted yeah. from me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I channeled all of my skepticism into Barry and said, Yeah, it showed. Yeah. <laughs> and I like it too because Todd's the perfect shill. I just have to drop it and then turn to Todd. <laughs> so, anyway, so if you like. I think the I think the sales pitch on it, the elevator pitch was uh, the office, Princess Bride office, or Once Upon a Time office. So okay, yeah, set in fantasy land. There's dragons. There's all that kind of stuff. Okay, because I was thinking more of like a James Bond villain kind of thing. Since you brought up the Scalzi book, no, no, okay, no. it's uh, no. This is all. Now, fairy tale kind of stuff. That would be intriguing, like the James Bond villain, <laughs> uh, James Bond esque villain assistant that yeah. like has to do everything for them. It's like, did you get the tank full of sharks? No. <laughs> no. The, well, the price has gone well, up. Oh. He sweeps up all the ashes of the guys who get shot down to <laughs> yeah. shoot at the conference table into the flaming pit. He's writing all the villain speeches, and then he gets berated when he misspells something. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. um, and all the assistants get together after yeah. work for drinks. The good oh, ones and the bad ones. I like this. Cop I like this. Mm-hmm. Book. Copyright. Someone, Copyright. Geek shock. Someone write this. <laughs> uh, the second second book I read. Um, we talked about Dark Corners reviews a lot. Um, a lot. A lot. Yeah. Uh, the guy's name is Robin Bales because one of his early ones actually has tombstones with. His name on it, and the first thing I was like, okay. So did a little research, found out that he has also written some novels. And again, I think I talked about this maybe on the show or, or, or not. Um, he's written a series of books uh, that he calls the Universal Library series, and they are sort of tongue-in-cheek takes on classic horror movies. And I, I think classic the- horror movies from what? Universal, maybe. Ah. And people are like, well, how's he getting away with that? And it's like, well, because universal is a non-copyrighted word that has many meetings. The meaning in this is that there is an organization called the Universal Library. (laughs) I like that. I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. And the first one is The Mummy's Quest. And it's modern day. And it's very much in line with the Universal Mummy movies and even the Hammer uh, Mummy movies. Um, and uh, he writes he writes in a conversational style that's very much if you've ever watched Doc Corner's reviews you hear his voice in the writing and so it's very easy it's a they're real nice page turners there's some humor in it uh, it actually does work as, as an adventure story um, several different groups of people all converging on this tomb in Egypt where Zany antics ensue when you uncover a witch pharaoh. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, as one will. As one will. Um, 
and it's the first book. Mummy's Quest is the first book, and um, and now I am. I'm intrigued to read the others because the characters are really fun. You know, it's interesting that you say that with the whole voice of the YouTuber as the voice in the book, because Yahtzee Croshaw, he's the guy that does uh, uh, oh, Save Galaxy for Food. Uh, that one he did, uh, Mog World. The Escapist is but the magazine. He was from uh, Escapist and uh, uh, the guy I, that talks really fast. Yes. And does video game reviews. Uh, now he's out, out on his own because Escapist is our idiots. So, <laughs> But he uh, wrote a fantastic book called Mog World. If you haven't read it, Barry, I think you'd really like it. Oh, no. I remember you reviewed this on The Ugly Couch Show. Yeah. It's uh, about a NPC in a multiplayer online game that get, gets sentience. And it's incredible. However, when you read it and you know Yahtzee Croshaw's voice, it's unmistakable. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and then just uh, cover a few things. Watch some stuff. Got a wild hair and just you, decide. See, when, you see, when you get a wild hair, that means you're going to watch something obscure and old. It's not obscure. Okay. At least. He's like, well, you're half right. You're half right. <laughs> yeah. I love how he stumbled in that. He was like, well, it's not obscure, <laughs> yeah. but it is old. Yeah, I just decided to watch a double feature. Aha. Oh, boy. Disney's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, very nice. Followed by Mysterious Island. Okay. Which okay. is Columbia Pictures, in which you could tell that the, uh, that the set designer was given... Make this submarine look as close as you can to Harper Goff's design, but not that design. <laughs> and uh, Captain Nemo played by Herbert Lom instead of uh, James Mason. And it's a Ray, it's a Ray Harryhausen joint, too. So 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and what's Mysterious Island? Mysterious Island, okay. yeah. Uh, the 1960 version, I want to say, 60 or 61. Which uh, one's better? Oh, the... 20,000 Leagues. The Disney. Yeah. Disney had a nice cast. Uh, Peter Lorre, uh, Kirk Douglas, James as, Mason. as well as James Mason. Um, I was actually, uh, I've heard people say it before. I hadn't watched it since I was a child. And um, I'm watching this with Steve, and I was I was actually pretty impressed with the fucking squid. Yeah. The, the, the whole thing when they're on, when they go outside the sub on the surface to fight the squid, the giant squid, I was like... That is actually pretty fucking impressive, even by today's standards, for a practical effect. I was actually very surprised. Yeah, and that guy went on to design the shark for Jaws, Robert Robert Matty. It was weird. I'm like looking at pictures from Mysterious Island. I thought I'd seen this movie, but I may have not have because yeah. none of this looks familiar yeah, to me. No, and a- I will say the other thing about like the Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea is fairly close so far as the events that happen in the book and everything. There's a few changes obviously mysterious island goes way <laughs> off the source material there if you if you watch the movie there are no giant crabs giant bees giant birds giant um nautiluses the the animal nautiluses none of that's in the book <laughs> good lord how many times have they remade mysterious island it's public domain ladies and gentlemen so yeah 1961 2005 2010 and that, it's just in the recent years oh and 20,000 leagues same thing yeah i mean I once just... in the same year they had a one with michael kane as captain nemo and one with you mean michael kane krenna was captain wow yeah wow or no not richard krenna ben Brought cross it out of him. 
Ben Cross was uh, the other Captain Nemo. That Bing year. Crosby. Oh yeah, <laughs> Bing Crosby. In the British, we're colonizing. I might have hit you with my pipe a couple India. times. Uh, then, uh, of course, uh, for New Year's, I don't know. Were you going to talk about this? Oh, you go mention it. Yeah, New Year's tradition. Yes. What? Beside adventure. Oh yeah. Of oh course. boy. <laughs> when did this start? This year. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have... wait. Didn't you and Vernon watch it on New Year's one year? Like uh, a few, because I, I remember I think, getting I an, think, an invite long I, time ago. I think Steve, were you visiting? Because mm-hmm. we we did it one other time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This <laughs> was this would have been a couple years ago. Steve was visiting. We had a video night. Vernon, Steve, and I. We invited you. Sure. Yeah, and I, yet, I, but Poseidon I wasn't Adventure, able to make it. Yeah. It was over the Christmas holidays. Poseidon Adventure would be one of. So those. tell us about the Poseidon Adventure. Well, it's a ship that capsizes. <laughs> the original Titanic. Yeah. It was well, when, the original Titanic. When the, the movie Titanic. first yeah. came out, it was my first experience of somebody getting clarify which version are you talking 72. about? Okay, the real there, one. The, it's Steve. Only... Jeff is Steve. You know which version it is. <laughs> right, it's the oldest and, one possible. I'm just saying there because is somebody's... only one Poseidon adventure. <laughs> the 2005 thing was just called Poseidon. <laughs> so, Nuts and to boy, you, is buddy. it forgettable. Well, I just meant that, because somebody's gonna like search for it and choose the wrong one, and yeah, they'd yeah, be yeah. like, yes. "What's he talking about here?" That didn't happen. That's what our review of old movies does. It gets people <laughs> searching and choosing. <laughs> you really believe it's, that, dude? Instead, instead of just going, "This is so boring." Oh my god, old people, old movies. Man. Thank you, Ellie. I want to so, die at twenty-seven. So Poseidon is just not good then. It's forgettable. Boring. Yeah, I mean, I, I, do, I only remember that Richard Dreyfuss is in it. That's the wow. only thing I remember. And that it is on, you know, like a modern day super cruise ship. How could you make a cruise ship sinking movie uninteresting? That's Yeah, and, and it's got Kurt Russell in it, too. So I don't know how you do that with a remake with Kurt Russell and then just completely drop the ball. Focusing uh, too much on... Oh, it's got parent. Josh Lucas in it. There's your answer. Because one, <laughs> one of the cool things about Poseidon Adventure is it's a great study and economy of script. They do a nice job of uh, establishing characters, lickety-split, like one scene. You understand Ernest Borgnine... And Stella Stevens' characters. One scene. Gene Hackman and Borgnine in the same fucking film. I love it. Yes. You know, one scene. You got Shelley Winters and Jack Jack Albertson. Red Buttons. You know, one scene. Pamela Sue Martin and that little kid. You you get you get who they are and then you start the interactions. And it was it's actually really good. And Borgnine, Albertson, uh, Gene Hackman. Uh, in my opinion, also Shelley Winters, mm-hmm. they're outstanding uh, in the movie. So it's just yeah. I mean, and, I mean, there's also Roddy McDowell and a Roddy very McDowell young Mark Leslie Harmon. Nielsen is the captain. A yeah. very young Mark Harmon is in that film mm-hmm. too. Barely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but yeah, yeah just it's crazy. <laughs> um, you look at the cast list, and it's just oh yeah, yeah, yeah. really impressive. Thing, okay, so 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 many of them die right away too. <laughs> exactly. So a couple of things about that. When I, when it first came out in the theaters, I was like, who's this Leslie Nielsen? Why does he get an oh. and credit and a box credit? What's that all about? He got a Deb box credit. Wow. Yeah. 
And I was he like, he them all. And and again, my big who's Leslie Nielsen? <laughs> and my, How dare of course, you? my mom. I know. And uh, you know, my mom and my aunt were like, oh, he was, you know, he's a leading man. Blah, right blah, at blah. the end of his leading man, just yep. just about before his just about air, the start airplane his reinvention. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Amazing. So, um, but then the other thing too was that I was like. <laughs> Besides the people that Kay just mentioned, everyone else, not the best actors in the world. You could actually do a good remake of Poseidon Adventure. Too bad they didn't. I know. Ah, yeah. And and I think I would keep it in the 70s. I think I wouldn't do it on a super cruiser. I think part of the issue was that the boat kind of started to overshadow the, the people. Um, but just, you know fill out the cast with people who are really good and i will say this about because carol lindley she's lovely and not the best actress but i will say this for her she has the fucking shit face down perfect <laughs> that's probably what sold them in the audition <laughs> yeah like, all like, right all right just look at this and think fucking shit and she's she like even, all right. <laughs> it's like, okay. We got her. <laughs> All right. Now, I have to ask, because I have not seen it, Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, the sequel. It's like I, five years later, something like that. Yep. How was that? I remember seeing it, because I think that was only a TV movie. Okay. Yeah. And with Michael Caine. Because, I, yeah, I know Caine's in it, but that's about all I know about it. That's about all I remember about it. Okay. The shit enough. part of that one is I didn't see it, but I read up on it, and apparently they gave it a twist by having a subtext as to why rescuers had gone to the ship to rescue people, and there was something they were looking to get. Yeah, it was that. like a heist kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. It, yeah. How many films gotcha. were there in this series? One. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just one. <laughs> the sequel, the official sequel. Just one. All right. Poseidon 3 in the hood. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and then lastly, uh, again, Wild Hair. I uh, was just go- flicking. Th- I, I was, I had, for the first time in literally decades, I had uh, the choice paralysis of walking through a video store going, Oh, I want to see this. Not tonight, though. Oh, I want to. I want to watch. No, not tonight. I think that's everyone's Netflix experience. Yeah, yeah. We spend like a half an hour looking for things to watch. Yeah, and then so, just go to sleep. So the choice came down to Theater of Blood, uh, Vincent Price, and uh, Diana Rigg, or King Solomon's Mines with Richard Chamberlain. Oh wow! Okay, and Sharon Stone. Wow, I went with King Solomon's Mines. Still never seen that. I apparently okay. had never seen it either. I thought I had. I apparently had never seen it either. And I think I got it confused with uh, High Road to China, the one with um, Tom Selleck and Bess Armstrong. It's okay. It, it's it, imagine not good. Raiders it's... of the Lost Ark, but it was made by some college kids who think towel head and camel jockey and all black people are cannibals is funny oh Ugh. yeah and yeah it, yeah, yeah it yeah. was a golden globus uh, joint that makes more sense now yeah and it, it i was really sad too because john Riss davies is in there and he has a meaty role as a as an antagonist uh as a turkish uh guy who really hates uh quatermain and he's just in this thing yeah 
Yeah. And and if you for those of you who thought that uh, Kate Capshaw's character in uh, <laughs> Temple of Doom was way too reasonable and level-headed, <laughs> watch this and, and check out Sharon Stone. And I, at one point, I turned to Kirsten and I go, Golden Globe winning actress right there. <laughs> <laughs> she's terrible in this. Now, she's given a script that her character is all over the place. At one point, she's... Com- She's written to be completely competent, but then she's directed as being <laughs> because I need the movie to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's and it, oh boy, is it terrible! It's awful, and it had a sequel, uh, Alan Quartermain in the City of Gold, and there was going to be a third one, which was going to be Alan Quartermain and she. Thankfully, that second movie tanked. <laughs> but man, that I means love- the first one did good. It, the first one did gangbusters. They marketed the hell out of it, and it made bank. I and they and they shot Tim, uh, City of Gold. They shot him back to back. Ah, so and, it was already and, in the pipeline. And Quatermain, I mean, uh, <clears throat> Richard Chamberlain could be, a, uh, I think, a great Quatermain, but this script was just. I mean, this script is full of scenes like this. You pick whatever danger they're in, and both characters are just kind of. Do something! Oh, you do something! That's the dialogue. Oh, lame. (laughs) You know, it's it's truly amazing that Sharon Stone went on to have the career that she had. Considering, I guess she's even talked about it, like the garbage that she got for scripts. Oh yeah, like early on. Total recall. Total recall is what pulled her out. And then Basic Instinct yeah. changed everything. But Total Recall is what saved her from that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and then even, even so, she talks about how the scripts would be pitched to her one way, and then she'd finally get on set, yeah. and then there's like, here's some page changes. It's like, you just turn my character uh-huh. from a competent, intelligent human being into a brainless idiot. Yeah. Some fucking suits like, yeah. well, the hero's got to rescue somebody. Oh, and your tits have to be out, too. Like, really? Oh, well, I don't blame so him this, for that. But. And this movie is a period piece. Uh, not set in the original period of uh, yeah. thing. Yeah. It's, it's uh, the, the book came out in 1885. This is set in World War One. Sharon Stone's Ish. hair and costume, not. right out of the 80s. Yeah. Right out of the 80s. It's just like, oh, boy. Uh, now, I will say it had one thing going for it. Jerry Goldsmith's score. Okay. Yeah. Which, again, was like, we want it to sound just like Raiders of the Lost Ark, but you can't make it Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's like, oh, here I am in William's shadow again. All right. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, so very much variations on themes. But it's still, it's still pretty good. It's still competent. Um, and so I think that's where I'm at. All right. Uh, my wife and I watch a lot of horror films, right? Really? Uh, most of those I Since don't when? bring to the show. Because <laughs> most of the shows we watch are competent. There's a few bad ones, but most of them are just competent. And a few of them are good, but not good enough. It's like, ah, people need to know about this. Uh, we encountered one of the very few rare ones that's like, nah, people need to know about this. <laughs> Yay. It is a movie called Dark Harvest, put out by MGM. It's the last movie distributed by United Artists. The uh, it came out 2023. It's a new film. 
This uh, film is based on the novel by Norman Partridge. Came out in 2006. Bram Stoker Award winner, this novel. And few people know about it. He originally put it out as a very limited edition. Then it went much more wider once he won the award. The... uh, this movie is fun. <laughs> Lots of fun. It, it, it tickles uh, stylistically uh, all, all of my nerve endings. I love it. The whole idea is set in the 50s in some, not our world, but a world like ours. So it's in the 50s and every Halloween... An entity named Sawtooth Jack Mm. rises from the cornfields that surround this small town and makes his way to the center to the church. And if he reaches the center, calamity will fall the crops of the city. Or it's a small town. So to combat this, all the boys... Uh, in high school, ages 14 to 17, are locked in their rooms for three days with no food until they are uh, released to hunt down Jack before he reaches the center of the town. Why no food? It's its own rules. It's to get them ravenous to go <laughs> take down Jack. Gonna need you to get all the way off of my back on the <laughs> no food thing. Let me get off of that thing. And what really makes this movie work is that the writer and director are very, very adept at only giving you enough knowledge to get you to the next point and you want to know more. Even by the end of the film, it's like, I know, now I know what this whole city is about. I want to know more about this place because this place isn't regular earth. This, there's rules here that we don't have. And it makes it that much more fascinating just trying to bring that forth. Mm. It's a, uh, just hyper stylized enough to know that you're n- this is not the re- a real place, right? The director, the writer, the actors are all on board that this is not set in the real world. This is its own world. And that really works for this. And what makes it work? If they set this in a real world scenario, I don't think it would work. Mm. But I think setting it in this kind of fantasy 50s town does fascinating i started listening to the audiobook i can only find it as audiobook right now it's still available if you want to buy it but a little too expensive for my tastes for even for a digital book for a book this old mm. uh, but not an easy movie to get you can either rent it or you can subscribe to mgm plus oh boy right oh boy right exactly uh, because this is an mgm brand now what's crazy about this this film never got distribution even though it's under UA, the final UA. Uh, it was only had one screening, and that was at the uh, Alamo Draft House for uh-huh. one evening only. Yeah, this says here that it was uh, originally set for theatrical release, but after missing a couple of release dates, it was quietly released straight to digital platforms. Yeah, and it's a shame because this is a fun Halloween-themed movie. With It has a twist that you see coming a mile away, and it doesn't matter. In fact, you knowing what the twist is, they kind of bank on that. Ah. In fact, that, that's so much so that the novel gives away the twist right up front. Mm. Hmm. So, yes, if you're looking for a good, interesting, <coughs> not scary, though, 
although it does have some holy shit that just happened moments yeah uh i highly recommend dark harvest not scary not scary I, we were i mean we're not scared at all but this, we were riveted beginning to end and at the end it was like that was fucking great okay because you know how deb is about horror. oh sure and, 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 watch and i'm not saying that she wouldn't be but it's it's much more in the fantasy category that she might not be so affected by it scary wise okay. there's some scary moments there are some uh gore terrifying moments not overly gory but visceral and violent uh but it's uh oh boy it's fun it's right. lots of fun so and I also want to bring up a, a, another journey that I've been. I haven't brought it up yet. Uh, I've been reading Nobody Does It Better uh, by Gross and Altman. It is one of those uh, interview uh, biography books of a certain subject. And this subject is James Bond. It's yeah. the complete history of James Bond from the beginning all the way up to modern Bond, all done through interviews. You know, it's not one of those things like it's just paragraphs of what happened, then this happened, then this happened. No, it's chunks of interview that have been interspliced together to tell the full tale in their words nice like they did with snl like they did with mtv their books star trek they've done this for a lot of pop culture this one they did this with james bond and so i've been watching the james bond movies as i've come along with it and uh, so I'm up to uh, I'm reading up to currently diamonds are forever forever but i'm currently re-watching majesty's secret service and I still stand that Lazenby is my favorite Bond. Okay. It's, it's, I know right. it's a weird choice, but I think I know, I think the reason is, is because when I'm watching Connery as Bond, I'm watching Connery. When I'm watching Roger Moore, I'm watching Roger Moore. Uh, all, all the Bonds, I see them as the actors they are. It's mm. like watching Tom Hanks as Bond, I'm watching Tom Hanks. Lazenby is not an entity. He, right well, it's, yeah, he was not, not an actor no, before this he was a model and yeah. he didn't know how to act the only mo- reason that movie holds together so well is one it's a great script yeah and two rigs yeah. all the way it's rigged yeah my god she is amazing and, and all the actors around her yeah. right rig is singular that's what no there's yeah. two of them she's okay, there okay. yeah <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm still not a fan of Telly Savalas as Blofeld, though. I just there's something about his portrayal that just well, you know what does it is? not She's work kooky, for me, baby. Yeah, you know what it is? Is it Telly Savalas? Yes, you see Telly Savalas. It's the same reason why the Bonds are Roger Moore and yeah. Here's what's funny though. Uh, you, you say you see Connery, but when Connery started, nobody knew who the hell shot. Sure, that's was. true. Yeah. So, yeah. but I we have the benefit of hindsight, right? And, and I have the benefit of being younger than you. Yeah. Mm. So, <laughs> what it comes to, my first one Why was Roger Moore. So, Same. by the time I came around, I, there was three Bonds be, uh, all together, yeah. right? So, I was used to the idea of there being multiple Bonds, and yeah. Connery was an established figure, and I'd already seen him in Highlander. So, yeah. right? So, I already had Connery as a Connery. Yeah. Lazenby is a just flag. a Bond. Yeah. And I realized when I was reading the Bond books, he was Lazenby I was picturing. <laughs> Because to me, that's like the just the physical aspect of Bond. He nails it. Mm-hmm. Not a great actor, but he really looks the part. Yeah. And physically, like when they do those fights, they're really, really tight. They're really, you know, they're real edity, fast, hardcore edity. But those are fucking brutal fights in that show, that yeah. movie. And here's the, here's the other thing about Lazenby too. He doesn't suck. No, he doesn't. No, he he does a capable job in that role and and nothing that he does takes you out of it and makes you go yeah this guy can't act 
He's he's no. yeah. perfectly fine in it. Absolutely. I mean, and, and a lot of the that scene is, at the very end, he actually, I think he sells that trauma yep. pretty well. He does, and it's fun in the book how they got that. Oh, really? Yes. They All kept the him up for nearly world. 24 hours. Are you serious? In order to get him so tired. That's what I was going to ask you about this book because just some of the behind the scenes that I've that I've read about the Bond films over the years, it's amazing these films got made. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Because there are so many times the, the production should have been just shut down. Uh, you know, accidents, stunt people getting injured, killed. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Just the story of Thunderball and it's oh yeah all of its legal wranglings and the yeah. fact that it's still going on today yes. no yes I, I don't know if it is anymore no it, uh, Kevin McCrory his estate said fine yeah oh, that, they, which, they which finally why, gave it up we, yeah which is why we got um, Blofeld in um, Spectre and that they gotcha like, fine. <laughs> but but yeah, if you're if you're not if you don't know about it, uh, the script for Thunderball was made, and then uh, Ian Fleming wrote the novel based on that script. Yeah, it was a failed movie. It was it was going to be the first James yes. Bond movie, and yeah, that failed out. But that means McCrory had the rights to that story till they finally came to an agreement for Thunderball. And I saw Thunderball for the first time. It's one of those James Bond movies that I saved. So that was like, that's right. I forgot because you and I talked about this many times. Yeah. I'm like, how have you still never seen Thunderball? It was one of those things like I always have a James movie later. in my pocket that I've never seen. And it's Thunderball. And I finally seen it. Wow. Is that boring? Yeah, it's not great. Surprisingly boring for all the write up that I've seen for Thunderball. I've seen Never Say Never Again. Seen and that's what times. I was going to say. It's amazing that you find that one boring, but you really enjoy Never Say Never Again because yeah, it's the same they, fucking story. Because they went, it is, but they went full camp on yeah, oh, Never well, Say Never yeah. Again. God, it's just I a goofball movie. I hated that movie so much. I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to like it. I wanted to like um, it so bad. What's her name? Barbara Carrera? Uh, who's the femme fatale in Never Say Never Again? Oh my God. The motor, uh, the motorcycle and Anyway, I don't remember. Her, she's a riot in that movie. She's just yes. good. well. Just she like, just she Give committed me some more scenery to chew on here. <laughs> so. I mean, she, when when she went camp, she just like went full out. Yeah, Bar it is Barbara Carrera. Yeah, yeah. And um, what's his name? Mephi Mephisto. Um, uh, the the villain in that. Max von Sydow. Nope. Yeah. Isn't it Klaus Maria Brandauer? Klaus Maria Brandauer. Yep. Oh my God! We just when we saw that and he he forces Kim Basinger to kiss him and that and string they pull of away spit, that string of spit is yes. like so oh, gross. Big bridge, yeah. So That's the thing I remember from that movie. <laughs> gross. Uh, it was so awesome. It was like, oh, he's so disgusting. And Jeff, I will always be thankful to you for getting me that figure of George Lazenby. From oh, yeah. uh, Sideshow Collectibles. Mm -hmm. yep. That's the only James Bond figure I have, and <laughs> I'm very proud to own it. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, I have to get this for him because it's not going to be around for a while. But yeah. I, I love that script. And even as a kid, I liked that. Even though I was, as a kid, I liked the uh, the more fantastical Bonds, you know, the Goldfingers and the uh, Live and Let Dies, the things that went way over the top, mm -hmm. you know, Spy Who Loved Me. However... Of all the bonds that were kind of semi-serious, I really loved 
of automatically secret yeah. service and i think it all comes down to it's a great script and i think if connery had been in that one it would probably be the best bond film of all time absolutely i've said that for decades literally decades so you haven't actually read up to honor majesty's secret service no i've passed that yeah i'm, I'm now reading about diamonds are forever his well, his viewing is is lagging his yes story well, see because diamonds are forever is only the fourth book oh it's not in the order of i'm not reading the books I'm reading the book about Bonds as they're being made. So as the movies are released, then I watch the movie. Well, that's what I'm saying. So you haven't read... Correct. Under uh, Majesty's Secret Service yet. That is correct. Okay. Because actually, it's one of the, it's the last one that is close to the story of the book. I've heard that, and I've read that throughout that uh, yeah. that biography, if you will, of Bonds. Yeah. So, oh, uh, and then one, one last thing. Because uh, we talked about it on the show a while back. Uh, Barnes and Nobles has in stock the um, some aspects of the James Bond novels re- reflected the times in which they were written. We have updated them with while trying to keep the. Oh, they're now in stock. Okay. And I'm cu- I, the one I'm most curious about is of course. Live and let one? die. Yeah. Live and let die. <laughs> the problematic live and let die. Yep. Uh, that's what I've been doing. Kay, what'd you do? Well, I played some D and D. Surprised face. I know we had to, we had uh, some more uh, Deb's D and D game. Oh, she ran this one. I like oh, yeah. that she runs. This, this is her post-apocalyptic Forgotten Realms. It was actually Triple really DG. funny because um, it it it's the it's a post-apocalyptic Forgotten Realms, but we're rapidly calling it the side eye campaign because everybody <laughs> keeps side-eyeing everybody and there's a lot of side-eyeing and you know you don't know who to trust and what to do and poor barry you know he doesn't know who to trust it's just kind of crazy but it's it's a lot of fun uh and uh barry and deb had set up their house for christmas so we had a lot of okay you're proceeding down the river and then Barnabas, get off the tree you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> Fucking cat. I wake up and the, the cat's in the goddamn tree. It's a brand new tree. And it, and, and there's like, there's holes. You can see through the tree. He's bent the things. He's fucked it up already. Yeah, really yeah. Half the tree is decorated. The bottom half is not. That, eat that is your cat. That's yeah. what your cat does. It's really funny because he, he occasionally went up in the tree while we were playing. <laughs> and we had that. But uh, to liven things up. And make things interesting, oh. I decided to uh, touch Barry's die. Oh, yes. And oh. He, he had at some point brought out the hammer, <laughs> the should, sacred should, hammer. I wish you could see this, folks. Barry's face just completely yeah. changed as soon as Kirsten said that. <laughs> so I, I touched have so the much die. respect for and, you. And, and that, really, that really messed things up for Barry. He had to do his whiskey die purification You don't ceremony. touch another man's dice. And, I uh, have no religion, no woo, no gods to bow before. I have one thing in my world that I believe in, and supernatural bullshit. Chaos? And that's my fucking dice. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I touched it. Uh, he was whiffing attacks. He was whiffing. I was rolling oh, he, poorly. He was whiffing healing. I mean, his uh, even when he didn't have to roll the 20, he was rolling poorly. It was terrible. And then and then it turned against him. At one point, Deb had rolled a natural 20 against him. And he's like, you have disadvantage. You have disadvantage because and you have disadvantage. She's like, okay, okay. And she rolls and rolls another nat 20. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck my life. 
Now, Steve actually got to, uh, he, he, he needed a little pick-me-up midway through the game, so he actually had a Steve and Barry shit mix toddy. Barry made him a toddy Heated up some water Put in some lemon Put in the shit mix And the shit mix Had uh, actually aged Pretty nicely Yeah Uh, We all actually had a shot Of shit mix And it was pretty good I don't know if it's so much Aged nicely As it masked The Evan Williams (laughs) (laughs) Yes Yes Yeah (laughs) It's gasoline But it's cinnamon flavor There you go Cinnamon flavor gasoline Yeah Yeah. So uh, Barry's Uh (laughs) Paladin always has an issue with being hungry. Uh, I want food. We need to stop to eat and everything. Every time during our journeys, when do we eat? We need to eat. And it's really funny because eventually Leon Mitt, Tim, actually <laughs> actually developed the, the eye roll where he's like, oh, God, here we go. The DM has to manage the hungry paladin. So now we have like a hungry paladin routine going on. Um and at one point, I we digressed, and I was telling a story. I won't mention the story here on the episode, but I was telling Tim a story that he hadn't heard before. And it was a few minutes long, and I was going on about it and telling him the story and letting him know what had happened and this and that, and got several minutes into it, and then suddenly Barry had the temerity to interrupt me and go, Who took it? Who took it? Who? And he's pointing at his dice, and he's like, Who took it? <laughs> Tim had amaze balls. Had amazingly Nat 20 sleight of hand. Sleight yep. of hand just rolled in and took Barry's die again. Oh. <laughs> and he was holding and 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 Barry's looking at me. And and Tim like gave it to him and he's like, Man, I've had that palm for several minutes now. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to notice. And Barry Sorry. Another purification ritual, and for uh, the Barry, what, what's the what's the purification ritual? The purification ritual <laughs> is one to purify all the negative bullshit that that these people <laughs> glom onto my die by touching it, or even really being in the same room as it. What, what steps do you take to purify? Well, there a are dye? many. Th- well, first off, alcohol usually usually does. The, he puts the it in a glass of, of whiskey. A g- good whiskey, like Petey. Do you wash it first? Because oh yeah, I yeah, no. Trust- no, 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 I'll yeah, wash it. With and these then... fuckers in their hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the whiskey will cure that too. Um, uh, maybe. I'll wash it and then I'll whiskey it, you know, and then I'll, and then I'll pray, I'll chant at it. And, and then and then there's a tuning to the die again because yeah. you, know, you lose attunement. Oh boy, did he attune. He held that die in his hand for the rest of the night. <laughs> so, I there were times I would, I would look at a spot in front of him and I'm looking for the die and I'd look up and he'd be right there staring at me. <laughs> So, so Barry, I have to ask, given the law of diminishing returns, how many more purifications are you going to be able to do on this die before you have to discard and start anew? The law of diminishing returns is not a given. Yeah. Wow. And it's, it's now because he really rolled like shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious is like how many times his die has to be molested before he has to basically say, wow. you know what? Ooh. I wow. have to I have Challenge to start a new well, well, that means that, turns 18. That means that the ritual just gets more involved every time. So yeah, that way we had a great D D game. It was it just sounds like it. Sounds like a perfect so game. I, I did discover though that there's at least I can't find again I'm not that familiar with D&D but I was pl- I'm playing an artificer 
um, who has all these tools, has all these artificer tools, you know, tinkers tools. Not familiar this. with D&D. Plays the weirdest fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Typical. <laughs> yeah. Is he professor artificer? Kind of professor artificer. Hard mode. Yeah. And there's, there's, and I have, I have the steel servant, uh, and, and because of the whole food issue, I was like, I was like, maybe I'll just build an oven into it. <laughs> and so I'm looking in the rules, trying to find out, okay, what do you have to do to actually build other things? Are there any rules? There's none. There's no, no actual... rules for putting an oven in your steel surface. You'd there's think no there would be. What, be a no rules for... what a flawed game. There's no rules for building anything. Ah, so not just that specifically. Right. Anything. Assholes. Unless you want well, unless you want a metal man, that's all you get. Yeah. Or or a rock that you can record messages on. Weird, but okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So come up with an idea. Go to Deb. She'll tell you what you need to do to do it. Yeah. That's a, that's a DM's I, job. I, I Use think your it imagination. I think it involves grabbing Barry's knife and shoving it up your butthole. Yeah. In, 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 into a big wad of cheese. And yes. Up, oh, the, yeah. up the wazoo. Cheese that's dying. <laughs> that, that's hard to get the whiskey and the cheese together. Yeah. That's, uh... I'd have to bring that dye back to Scotland. To <laughs> so, now, it was really funny. I, I got slammed with deadline stuff, so I wasn't able to participate in Board Game Arena. But um, Steve and Andy stepped up and participated with Deb, so she wasn't doing the whole thing Yay. on her own. And then Kofi members, a tier four and higher, or tier three and higher, uh, Board Game Arena meetup every month. So, yeah. Want to know more about it? ko-fi.com slash geekshot. So, I'd have been there. I had to go to a party. So they got to play that, and it was really funny because a couple hours after I'd finished, I was just like, I wonder if it's still going on or not. Steve hadn't come downstairs. So I went to the Discord and went to the chat for Board Game Arena and saw that Andy was sitting there all by himself. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, because he because, logged off because high technology Andy hadn't logged off the Discord. <laughs> So I was oh just, oh, God. that's pretty funny. So Steve eventually came down. We talked. We watched uh, watched a few things on TV. And around 2 a.m. or so, <laughs> I popped open the Discord. Andy is still in the chat. Yeah. The, the, 2, 2 a.m. here. Not the, ti- not, here. The t- not the typing chat. The, no, no. The voice, ver- chat. voice chat. Voice yeah. chat. So 2 a.m. here. 5 a.m. Yeah. where he's at. So I popped open the voice chat and logged on. And then I just was... Andy, Andy, get off the chat. Andy, Andy, and then I logged off, and then Steve jumped on. I was like, "Turn off the chat. You're still on the chat." You need to get off the chat. <laughs> and and then after Steve logged off, about ten minutes later, I went back and Andy was off the chat. <laughs> Did Andy call you the next day? No, because Andy called me on Sunday, right, <laughs> and left in very much the Andy fashion, the most unintelligible, <laughs> mumbly voicemail. I, to this day, do not understand what he said. And I texted him. I said, hey, dude, I'm at lunch. I couldn't hear your voicemail. What's up? Dude, I really could not understand your voicemail. Wait, Still wait. hasn't replied to me. It's fucking Tuesday. Without even, without even uh, hearing it, it went a little something <laughs> like this. So anyway, I'm not saying I was going to say that. 
That is exactly it. That is it. That is the voicemail I got from Andy. Um, can confirm, because Andy has also left me voicemail in the past, that it was completely unintelligible. Yeah. I had to call him back and say, I'm sorry, I couldn't understand the thing you said on your I voicemail. I talked to him on the phone, and I'm like, Andy, repeat that. And it kills me, because he, he'll repeat it exactly like he said it before. And so you'll get three different three different uh, runnings of, but um, that was really fun. I really enjoyed that. Otherwise, I just want to say second season, what if? Loving it. I love the art and the animation is fun. I really love what they're doing with Captain Carter. I mm-hmm. think that's a fun, and their new, the, the other new character they created, Kahori. That, it, great stuff, great stuff. Um, and uh, Steve and I also watched the mother of all slasher flicks, oh. Black Christmas. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, first time for me. Um, first time for me. I've never and, seen it before. Yeah, and it was, I was just, man, oh, man. Th- that movie's early 70s, and it's really funny because it does basically establish everything that would come up in Halloween. We were drawn to it because we were watching Dark Corner's reviews, and he would like, and then we have the scene where blah, 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 which was totally invented by Halloween years later, you know? <laughs> and Hilarious. It, 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 it is actually pretty good. I don't have Steve's Margot uh, Kidder uh, fetish, um, so he was happy with her, but I was you know, so again. It was like I think one of her, if not her first, one of her first movies yeah. ever. Predated Sisters, predated a lot of the other Canadian movies. One of the best performances from B actor John Saxon. <laughs> I don't yeah. consider him a B actor. I think he's an A actor in a lot of B movies, in a lot and of B TV movies shows. and TV shows. Yes, yeah. I'll agree with that because this. This was one of the best performances uh, I'd ever seen him do. He it was it was just great. Because I just so. you know it's just a side note because we mentioned John Saxon. I literally just saw an episode of Hardcastle and McCormick the other day where John <laughs> Saxon is that the acting from every other actor in that show is horrible. Save uh, uh, is it Brian Keith? Brian Keith, yeah. Except for John Saxon. Saxon is the only believable non-lead character in that entire episode. And I'm just sitting there going, I'm like, you are out of your... You are so underrated dude yes he was terribly <laughs> terribly underrated and underappreciated i just yep. want to say black christmas watch that movie if you love slashers and realize that everything you're seeing in there is probably for the first time oh yeah. Olivia including a couple oh, yeah. of tropes that i can't even mention because it's spoilers yeah. and i won't spoil this despite its age wow yeah. um brian keith just on a complete side note he <laughs> He was talking about how he, he said, oh, I was doing a movie with, uh, you know, it was me and, uh, oh, you know, one of the other great face rubbers of all time. And of course, what that means is, you know, the, the actors that when they get, when they get discouraged, and this is a visual. God damn it, Steve. <laughs> but, you know, they'll, they'll. Brought fa- you by Band March on the. Yeah. They'll, they'll do the face palm that then goes slowly but surely down the face and then, uh, you know, ends up. So yeah, so it, oh Keith is definitely doing that a few times in that episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you watch the, so when that comment was made, every Brian Keith movie I saw after that, I was like, yep, 
Family Affair. Yep, that would that got to be a, a joke. Uh, Mr. Davis, Buffy and Jody are throwing each other down the elevator shafts again. <laughs> Face where Buffy and Jody throwing each other down the elevator shafts. It's a visual joke, people. Yeah. I tried to put some you know, <laughs> some gravitas to it. Andy, get off the chair. <laughs> <laughs> News you don't give a shit about. Uh, oh, 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 yeah. Oh, there's some cheese in that one. <laughs> I'll bet there was. <laughs> Warner Bros. Cheese whiz. <laughs> don't know. Nope, nope, nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount Global have engaged in discussions about a possible merger. Uh, the CEOs of both giants, the fantastic David Zaslov of Warner Brothers Discovery and Bob Backish of Paramount Global, recently held a crucial meeting in New York to explore the potential union. This merger would bring together two major players in the entertainment world, each with their own rich history and a diverse portfolio of assets spanning television, film, sports and streaming. Uh, one key area of interest in the discussions is an integration of their streaming services, Max and Paramount+. Plus. Uh, meanwhile, internal discussions at Paramount Global indicate the company is considering significant layoffs as well. The potential merger between Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount Global would be a massive event in the media industry and would reshape the landscape of the industry itself. Yep. Ah, let's let's yeah, hope this, this one doesn't happen. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of times mergers, Wall Street gets way behind uh, because, you know, increased stockholder value, blah, blah, blah. Every Wall Street analysis that I've seen so far is saying this would be horrible for both brands yeah. and for both stocks. It said it would tank it, especially because of the way Zaslav has handled Warner Brothers, like loading it with debt and then, yeah. you know, basically being very anti-artist yeah. with his tenure so far. And it's weird because it's not even, it's something like less than 20% of the total ownership shares that are up for grabs, but it's 80% of the voting shares for uh, Paramount. Like, uh, it's um, Redstone. Uh, I, uh, for, yeah. sh- I forget her first name, but she's the, the CEO. Sunny Redstone? No. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Well, her uh, grandfather was Sumner Redstone. Sumner, yeah, was the one that she got the shares from, but yeah. yeah. So she doesn't have Sunshine. majority ownership, but she has all the voting shares because yeah. of the the remerger of Viacom and CBS. So. Oh, Ruby Redstone. <laughs> all right, folks, I'm I'm just saying it now to get the look from Barry. So. He's just riffing. Now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just riffing uh, on Barry. The, Let me riff on Barry. Consolidation the, is always bad. This would be horrible. The only good thing that could come out of this is Star Trek Green Lantern Corps. <laughs> Define you think, good. You think you, you think you want that now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and of no. course, and of course, they would put that into production, shoot it all, go halfway into post production, and Saslov would go, "Yeah, we need another tax write off." That's yeah. You know. I just, it, you know, it's funny. It's like Safran and James Gunn were supposed to be given carte blanche of how to do the DC universe going forward. I'm wondering how far they get before Zaslav just like you guys are spending way too much money, and before they start, he starts stepping in and tell them what they can't do, yeah. and they both leave 
for greener pastures. They have a 10-year plan. Right. Their contracts are up in two years. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like they're just going to stretch it out until their contracts like are up. And, and, and speaking of that, Jeff, Todd, I want to... I wanna, we got to retalk my my contract with Geek Shock. Oh, let's do that. Yeah. The the DC fan is your in trailer me, not big enough? <laughs> the DC fan in me is just like oh, a ten year plan, headed by people with two year contracts. This is going to be the same old shit. Is there yep. not enough cocoa puffs on the craft services table for you, Kirsten? <laughs> that's right. But it's apparently enough cheese. <laughs> but that's okay. No, but I eat it all, Steve. I think it's okay because when they leave, Joss Whedon will pick it right up. And <laughs> sure, pow. Oh, they'll bring they'll bring back uh, Zack Snyder, and he'll take uh he'll you know he'll take all the happy fun positive thing about it, and you know make uh, make uh, Lois pregnant with uh, Bruce Wayne's uh, child again, and she'll get killed by. <sighs> Better yet, Lois Lane gets pregnant with. Be- from Bruce Wayne's child, so it's oh, Damien. It's Jesus Damien's Christ. child. That's it. Yeah. There we go. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> See, we got a wow out of Jeff. That, folks, means it's good. <laughs> Is that what that means? I'm not sure it does. <laughs> no. News you don't give a shit about. After 28 years, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, commonly known as E3, is officially gone. The Entertainment Software Association, the main organizer of E3, announced that they would no longer organize the event, effectively ending its more than two-decade-long run as a central showcase for U.S. and global video game industry. E3 has been an annual gathering sponsored by the ESA since 1995, primarily taking place in Los Angeles. However, in recent years, it faced challenges, including the cancellation of the event in 2020 due to COVID-19 and a shift to virtual format in 2021. Then, many of the big video game publishers started up their own big events, and at its peak, E3 was a major launchpad for new releases from key players in the video gaming industry. Yeah, so. but it's been dead for a little while, though. Uh, it's It's been more of a fan thing than it has been a business thing, and all the businesses went to that other one. I forget the name. Uh, well, what's also fascinating is, um, on that same token, one of the things they referenced in the uh, the documentary Attack of the Dock is that when G4 went away, so did a lot of the promotion for E3. So, because they were doing the intros to these different big events, these big game releases, and then um, getting these exclusive interviews with some of the development leads right after. Like, these were literally interviews that nobody else was getting at the time. I always look forward to their yearly coverage. I recorded a lot of their yearly coverage well, to watch. It, because, I mean, both Sessler and Webb were fantastic. And not only were they well-informed and asking the hard-hitting questions, and they would get nuggets of information out of these uh, developers and engineers that maybe they weren't ready to say or that they... You know, we're leaving exclusively for G4, but also because they were excited and they were fans of video games. So it definitely translated well. But they also didn't let them walk all over them and let them just, you know, do the elevator pitch and then move on. They would, if they said something that they caught on to, they would hit them with the hard hitting question. So I think the thing that really hurt E3 in the long run, of course, the pandemic didn't help. Sure. But I think the thing that did break it up was when they turned it from an industry-only event into mm-hmm. fan-inclusive, yep. so anybody could go, and it just kind of lost its identity. 
And Tokyo Game Show took away a lot of their thunder as well. Well, not that I that, but PAX. Yeah. I mean, they, that's what they tried to do. They tried to turn it into yeah. PAX, and mm-hmm. there was already a PAX. Yeah. So, but uh, I will miss it. I, I yeah. look forward to its coverage yearly. Uh, and now that all these individual companies has yeah. their own thing spread throughout the year, I, I, I really don't care as much i i liked having that one moment where there's all this happening right now some of those announcements are now happening at the uh game awards and right the golden joysticks and whatnot do you remember for like for a minute there was all this big kerfuffle about e3 banning booth babes yeah yeah was that that was after they made it a fan event i'm honestly i'm not sure when that well there there was multi-layered reasons for that uh probably the 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 least highlighted was that a lot of these booth models were getting assaulted and that was was that a was it before or after they made it a fan event uh well i mean it's i will <laughs> I tell you i will like tell that. you because somebody i know actually has been a booth model and it's been going on since mm-hmm. industry only all the way up through fan event yeah, so okay. it's people think they have license and right to just do whatever they want to the because oh they're part of the booth i can and it's like no that's a human being you need to treat them as such you know so all anyway. i know is it i would go to like business conventions like i went to internet retailer it's it's boring uh it's for work but there for a while used to be booth models at some of these booths and you'd want to go over to that booth because there's a booth model handing out free stuff i'm like okay yeah. i like both of those things booth right. models and free stuff what are you doing enterprise software Bleh. who cares but i want the t-shirt well and then also <laughs> you have to bear in mind that all of those industries have gone from basically male only to much more mixed companies so you know put a a booth model in there that's not going to attract all the people over to your booth so you get a couple of them you get a guy and you get a girl. Get something for everybody. Yeah, well, but some have tried that. I remember wearing the wearing the UFO uh, um, mesh uh, shirts. Oh god! Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I remember when Pax banned booth babes and uh, uh, people talked about that, and they, they were less talking about the assaults and they were just saying, "Well, you know, we got more people coming on and people don't like it." So. <clears throat> it's so what, yeah, it's a mix of all those. What things, they really. needed to translate uh, transition to uh, was booth tabbies and Frenchies. That would have brought in everybody. What in the ass is that? What is that? <laughs> it's cats and dogs, like furries. No, Mass no, actual, no actual cats and dogs. People love kitties. People love cute uh, cute doggies. That will bring people into the booth. Mm-hmm. No, dude, no. It's really transitioned more a lot to like cosplayers of the whatever the lead character in the game is. So if it's a giant robot, it's somebody in the giant robot And if you dress a Frenchie up like that character, you have a win. (laughs) Now you've gone too far, Todd. Can't fight that. I'm right. You know I'm right. I think they should have uh, tops and bottoms. (laughs) What are we talking about here? (laughs) I'd want to. I don't know. You don't want to know. I just want to participate. Uh, he just wants to feel left out. He wants to say words into the microphone. <laughs> That's mean, a whole mean, thing, mean dude. Mean words make. He just wants to serve some shit up. That's a whole thing, dude. <laughs> News don't give a shit about. 
Oh, my God. At 12.01 a.m. January 1st, the earliest iteration of Mickey Mouse entered the public domain. Uh, shortly thereafter, the trailer for a slasher film called Mickey Mouse's Trap was posted online. In it, clips of Walt Disney's 1928 animated classic Steamboat Willie are shown interspersed with newly shot footage of what tells the story of a mouse mask-wearing killer who stalks college-age kids in an arcade. Here's the logline. It's Alex's 21st birthday, but she's stuck at the amusement arcade on a late shift, so her friends decide to surprise her. But a masked killer dressed as Mickey Mouse decides to play a game of his own with them, which she must survive. Yeah. The film was shot, edited, and directed by Jamie Bailey, written by Simon Phillips. Trailer and on top of that, a trailer for the Steamboat Willie inspired horror game Infestation 88 was also released. <laughs> Quote, more modern versions of Mickey will remain unaffected by the expiration of Steamboat Willie copyright. And Mickey will continue to play a leading role as a global ambassador for the Walt Disney Company in our storytelling theme parks and merchandise. A Disney spokesman said about the do's and don'ts of the uh, public domain. Quote, we will. Of course, continue to protect our rights in a more modern versions of Mickey Mouse and other works that remain subject to copyright. And we will work to safeguard against consumer confusion caused by unauthorized uses of Mickey and our other iconic characters. The company how long until the modern version of Mickey is in uh, the public domain? It goes year by year. Okay, and they've they've done subtle iteration changes so that they can basically keep the modern version of Mickey in perpetuity. Sure, but little bits will get added to Mm -hmm. the public domain Mickey over time. Exactly. Uh, But here's the thing. I used to celebrate when works would go into public domain. It was like, great, because, you know, can't have copyright forever. But if this is what we're going to do with it, fuck you. Fuck fuck it all. You don't deserve it. Really. The whole, like, Amityville thing, this Mickey thing, it's these just cheap ass fly by night grab the money and run capitalist bullshit yeah the moment that it comes available just to make that quick dime and run i'm like if you want to use it do something with it but all we're going to get is a sea full of crap with a couple of drops of something good that are going to get lost within uh, you're you just described art in general yeah i was gonna say that's pretty much history of art i mean i understand what you're saying but eventually stuff will come along eventually i mean if somebody cares and somebody's going to put some effort into it well it's going to take some time so of course the schlocky slap dab and quick grab is out now well because it just happened what can we do with the steamboat willie character i think we can we can make steamboat willie themed colby jack cheese <laughs> yes there you go carved to look just like the yeah <laughs> I mean, we Call had a discussion. No. Call me Jack Mickey's with a little whistle on it. That's not where the whistle's coming from. Oh, Todd. <laughs> Todd, I was going to say, Walt Disney himself was given grief for using public domain yeah. works to make his animated because they said, well, that's lazy. Why would you choose something just I'm, because I'm, it's free? And then that's not what turn I'm saying. In, well, no, but I'm saying what I'm saying is that you're always going to get the garbage, but you might have a few gems in there. So it's, you know, it's just the nature of art. You got to wade your it. way through it. It's worth it. We're, and look, we're 
Todd, we're also at the cusp of this, okay? Uh, you, we weren't at the cusp of, I don't know, Cinderella, Snow point. White, folk tales, whatever's. Sure. Those have gone through, you know, some of those folk tales are centuries old by the time Disney got around to doing stuff right. with them. So, you know, it... it it's, uh, I, I'm not going to say, fuck you, we don't deserve it if this is what you're going to do, because this is inevitable. Someone, somewhere, is probably going to make a killer Winnie the Pooh, Steamboat Willie, you know, Winnie and Willie something. And you're smiling at me like I'm going somewhere with this, but I'm not. I thought you were going porn with it. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. I'm not. I'm talking about someone will make a cool Winnie the Pooh and uh, Steamboat Willie thing. Steamboats and, Willie. And people will go, okay, look, there you go. As it, as yeah. you, you just, okay. we just got to give it. I got to be patient. I, you got to be patient. Okay. One of the, the thing about this whole copyright thing that irks me is I'm old. You know, how many decades have I got, right? So I, will I see the really cool shit that's going to come out when Superman hits it and, you know, Batman and stuff? There's some cool stuff out there that people might be able to do something with. All of which you know? are literally in the next few years. Yes. Yeah. Superman so, is January 1st, 1934. Batman is January 1st, 1935. But some other stuff's coming up soon. King Kong into this decade. The original King Kong, public domain. Maltese Falcon in the next uh, 2026, public domain. You know, and that's... Yeah, and, the character designs for... The universal character designs for Frankenstein and Dracula, yeah, public domain. Yeah, the, the universal Frankenstein finally being at where, you know, anybody can use it. We're, yeah, we're going to get some <laughs> shit things. But, you know, who knows who will come up with something creative. Okay. And if not, maybe an AI will. I will... Yeah. <laughs> God, fuck it. Damn it. I, I'm out again. I'm out. I'm out again. You Where's had him for a second. Where's my Steamboat Willie NFT, damn it? There Where you go. It? It, 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 it's going to take some time. We'll see what happens. There, you know, and yeah, we're going to have to wade through Sturgeon's Law, man. 90% is going to suck. Yeah. But, you know, there will be something worthwhile that will eventually come out of it. Always yeah. will be. Yep. All right, I'll slow my roll. Yeah, I, I just, I just, and yeah, we got to get used to this because this is this is what it's going to be, guys. Okay, Superman hits the public domain. We're going to get that schlocky horror Superman something or other. You mean Brightburn? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's going to be called Schlocky Horror Superman. Yeah. Did you not yeah. like Brightburn? I did. Okay, I'm going to say it. It's all right. Yeah. So, so here's the thing. I, I was I was thinking about that. Oh boy, that does mean we're going to get the. Hor it's like no, we've already got, we've already got um, uh, the plutonium. We've already got. Uh, mm -hmm. We've already yeah, got irredeemable. Irredeemable. We've already well, that's plutonium. Yeah. Um, we've already got. Um, what's the father in Invincible? Omni Man. Omni Man. Omni Man. We've already got Homelander. Yeah. We've already got the horror Superman. So maybe we won't have to put up with it. Yeah. We'll good luck, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're going to get Superman with a knife. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Or zombie Superman. You know, gotcha, gotcha, and, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. You know, it, it, um, it's going to happen. But at some point, somebody's going to hit on something. 
and it'll be cool and it'll redeem the whole idea of public domain because per- perpetual control of, of this kind of stuff I think is horrible. I yeah. agree. I, I would you rather know. have this than Corporation Forever having it. Yeah. Right. Or, or As even, somebody who's a Sherlock Holmes fan, I'm just saying there has been a cottage industry of new Sherlock Holmes novels and books and everything coming out and a lot of them are really good. Some of them are like, mm, that's a good idea. I wish you were a better writer. But Right. It's been great. And what if what if what if copyright had been enforced and in place for centuries? Right? Okay. No Cinderella, no Snow White. Yep. You know, n- n- uh, uh even the modern day uh, ones, uh, Lion King. You wouldn't Robin have, Hood, you know, Lion you wouldn't have King. Enchanted. What about what yeah. about all the Shakespeare stuff? Sure, you yep. know, so you got to wait through all the blood and honey first. Got uh. that, and that's probably, dude. That I mean, if we want to do a serious geek shock sticker, that might be one of them. You got to wait through all the blood <laughs> and honey first, because we will, we will. But I stuff mean, will come. Yeah, I mean, look, anyone can now do an, uh, their own. An- animated version of Winnie the Pooh if they want to. They just can't put a red shirt on him. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Anyone can go out there and do more new Winnie the Pooh What stories. if Winnie the Pooh's a murderer and that shirt's just red from blood? I, I think you just mentioned the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then you have to show that it's actually a white shirt with red blood spatter. There you yep. go. <laughs> or you know, what if Winnie the Pooh is uh, you know president of uh, West Taiwan and uh, just uh, is not, doesn't appreciate being called Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> topical people, we're topical. We can geek! <laughs> That's us. Uh, well, speaking of, uh, <laughs> speaking of things in the public domain that might finally work, uh, director James Wan is developing a feature film adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's yeah. The Call of Cthulhu. It was also announced there will be a video game developed based on the movie. Uh, Deadline reports that this is a dream project for Wan, and he's been working on the project quietly for the past five years. Uh, the Call of Cthulhu was published in 1928. The story is presented as a series of interconnected narratives and documents, each recounting strange and terrifying events experienced by different individuals. The central theme revolves around the existence of an ancient, malevolent cosmic entity known as Cthulhu, which lies dormant beneath the ocean. As various characters investigate mysterious occurrences, they uncover a cult that worships Cthulhu in a series of disturbing dreams and artifacts that hint at the creature's impending awakening. Uh, the Call of Cthulhu is a seminal work of cosmic horror and a cornerstone of Lovecraft's literary legacy. And there's been a lot of attempts. A, a lot you of attempts. trying to say to that. Say things, yeah. Yeah. Alliteration. <laughs> Gotta love it. Uh, there's been many attempts at making this and no one's done it well. Uh, maybe James Wan, with his experience in both horror, which he's done well, he's done you know Insidious and so, the early Saw films, and his penchant for now high action directing, which he did with the Aquaman series, uh, maybe this is kind of the best hands for this. Yeah, I haven't I, seen a good Cthulhu movie. Have you ever seen? It's. I, I preface this with saying it's not great. <laughs> but have you ever seen the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft Society silent movie version? No. So they did a silent movie version of Call of Cthulhu. It runs not even an hour, I think. And it's a very amateur production. It turns out, because they were at the Chaosium Con, and it turns out they were all theater people. 
and and they were basically building the sets in their garage and in their backyard and all this type of stuff uh using theater techniques um like i say it they got some good actors in it and it's when i first saw it i was like i was like well definitely a for effort c for actual thing it's it's okay it is super interesting to watch uh because they did do a silent movie and they have the silent movie eye makeup and all that all that stuff uh they were able to find newsreel footage of providence and then they they so they have that in the background they did a slit uh you know a half screen so they there's modern providence buildings that they were able to stick old cars in front of and then you have that on the other side and i was like these guys with zero money man they just they went they used every technique that they could possibly use to make this and that the cthulhu is stop motion animation they did this great thing where they built the sets of the city that rises up out of the ocean and they they king konged it they put a little screen in the set and rear screened the people in that as they're in this giant miniature and i was like the, the ingenuity of this is amazing i wish the final product was as good as the ingenuity that went into it i've even seen some video games for call of cthulhu that look like they would be okay but didn't quite hit the mark yeah. the only thing i can think of that really captures it has been the board games mm-hmm. you get your arkham horror sure but to be fair i have never played arkham horror i just know it because it's so prolific sure and i've played it and yeah it captures it yeah okay um and then uh the elder sign mm-hmm. uh the card game and then the Call of Cthulhu board game a lot. Uh, otherwise, that's that's the only thing that's really worked other than the books. Unfathomable. Yeah. Unfathomable is the Call of Cthulhu remake of the board game <coughs> uh, Battlestar Galactica. Oh. Where you're, everyone's on a ship going f- across the Atlantic, <laughs> and one person is working for the bad guys, part of the cult. And everybody else is trying to get that ship across the ocean as being attacked by uh, Dagon creatures, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Neat. Yeah. Play that. Because I got of, it. It's great. Because of, of Lovecraft's writing style, um, it, it's really hard to translate his stuff, stuff to the movies. Because movies and TV shows... Film and television is basically a very literal medium. They're the media. What you see is what you get. If you're reading something, then your imagination's doing all the work. Um, and well, also, <clears throat> Lovecraft is very tell, not not as uh, balance of tell and show. Yeah, and also uh, unreliable not narrator. Yes, <laughs> um, which is really big. And the biggest part, the big, the toughest nut for Lovecraft, I think, for modern movies and TV to crack is hopelessness yeah because almost every single cthulhu story ends with golly gee too bad you know and they just don't want that and yeah. and i can understand because freaking Zack snyder and you apply that to superman <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> because um you will you will actually have a bigger audience and you will do better numbers if you end on a positive note if you if you go nihilistically then you're going to have your problems. And I think that's one of the toughest nuts to crack with. Also, it's the period 
the mm-hmm. period uh, lends itself to the scientific ambiguity of everything and the mm-hmm. questioning of sanity very well. And you, I think you can do that today, but you really need to be an imaginative mind to sit there and go, okay, if Cthulhu existed today, he would eat lots of cheese. What would happen, right? Damn it! Whereas you know, and and Lovecraft ex- explored that in the 1910s and 1920s, but. You know, a direct translation of that into the modern day isn't quite going to make it. So you really have to have a feel for it. I think James Wan can do it. Mm-hmm. I really hope that you know Guillermo finally gets around the mountains of madness. That that that's that's like John Williams, you know, retiring. Right? Sometimes <laughs> it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. You know. So it's it's just like who knows? There are people who can do this stuff. It's very tough. But boy, oh boy, if they can land it, yeah, I was just, it'll be extraordinary. Yeah, I was just wondering, is like, how, if you, from your perspective, if you think that could be done in a way that modern audiences would understand it because of that, that time differential. Because I mean, shoot, try talking to somebody that's in their mid to late twenties now about what a rotary phone was, right? Yeah. Even right. now, even though that's only about twenty five years away. Yeah. They don't know. They've yeah, never yeah, seen yeah. one. Now, and now that's one of the cool things about period pieces. And right. Jesus, we got, you know. Sure. Uh, I mean, everybody's doing period pieces of all sorts of stuff. I think that, that those can be some good ideas. I still think uh, doing James Bond as a period piece would be would oh, be a I'd great idea. Yeah. I'd love for I, I agree. Cold I agree. So it, it could be something. Um <laughs> You know, and I think I think that there would be audiences for it. There are young kids who dig on things like the, as Steve said, and Deb understood precisely what he was saying when he said it, which still freaks me out. Netflix with hats, which is the Gilded Age, <laughs> and, and somehow she fucking picked up on it as soon as he said Netflix with hats, uh, Gilded Age. But you know, and as I think. I think that, but even if they don't, you just have to really think about it hard. What does it mean? If it, you can't just sit there and say, "Well, what's the modern day equivalent of Randolph Carter?" or "What's the modern day equivalent of, sure. of you know, blah blah blah?" You got to think really hard about what does it mean to have that now because there's so much that would be. Oh yeah, and there's so much more Cthulhu exposure to under Rilia. Right? So now we've got seismic monitors, tsunami monitors in the Pacific, right? Because they're all there to watch for earthquakes and tsunamis. And, and Godzilla. What, the, exactly, right? And, and what are the implications of that? Stuff like that. They're, they're, they're whole reams of stuff. But then again, what, uh, what, 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 how would we react? And it could be interesting, it, mm-hmm. you know? But, I mean, if you don't give it much thought... Yeah, the other thing, too, is I have no idea what kind of budget uh, Del Toro was asking for at the Mountains of Madness. But the other thing, too, is, yeah, you have to figure that if you want to do it as a period piece, that that's going to perhaps, that is a possibility of limiting your audience. But on the other hand, you've got all these backlots and stuff. you know. So I think, again, you just have to get creative with Okay, we're going to do it as a period piece. What's still? You have to adjust your budget so that 
so that you don't get people saying <laughs> your forty-eight million dollar opening weekend was a total flop. You know that <laughs> it just I, I you know again that's a reference to the whole Marvels thing and Aquaman and I forget what the oh the Hunger Games thing. And it's like, I remember back in the 80s when Pale Rider came out and people were talking about, oh, nobody's interested in Westerns anymore. And somebody pointed out, well, no, X number of million of millions of people went and saw Pale Rider. It's opening weekend. So it's not that they're not interested in Westerns and that's not interested in hundred million dollar Westerns. You know, they're interested in maybe a $50 million Western or a $40 million Western. So I, I think that has to get taken into account. And like I said, I don't know what Del Toro was asking for, but it seems like the budget was part of the sticking problem. So, and why they were trying to, you know, hedge their bets by putting Tom Cruise in there. It's like, no. Uh, I have nothing really against Tom Cruise, but no. It's going to eat your entire budget. <laughs> yeah. It's going to eat your entire budget and... And people are going to look and, at Tom Cruise. And, well, they're going to they're gonna go for a Tom Cruise movie. And even Tom Cruise would probably say, look, guys, I'm in this movie. So if you want to do something where it all ends shitty yeah yeah <laughs> you're gonna get a shitload of people who are like why is tom cruise in this movie right you which know? is a fascinating thing with cruise because he's actually turned down roles not because he didn't want to do them but because if he knew in that he was in them it would distract people from the right. stories yeah. and the script because he, he said that all they would be looking at is me and not seeing all these other fine and actors you know and all these other he has the chops he could oh, yeah. be in a Cthulhu-esque movie and play it, and the whole thing could go right. Well, he has surreptitiously produced some movies that he didn't put his name on. Right. So he's acted as a producer yeah. without he getting knows. the credit for it. He so, knows yeah. who he is and what he is. Mm -hmm. Right. And But he has the chops. It's just, if he were to do that, would the audiences be welcome of it? Right. You know? so. Yeah, but... but you know the, the the issue there is you're you would go to a Tom Cruise movie thinking Tom Cruise is going to win, and, yeah. And it's like no, he's gonna he's gonna be busted up, and they're gonna be flying away from Antarctica and going you know biting their teeth still. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's one of the reasons I like Magnolia so much. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's yeah. what I was thinking of. That performance right there. Everyone talks about Born on the Fourth of July. Fuck that. Magnolias. Yeah. It was just like, you know, and it's no, it is no coincidence that's a fucking ensemble piece. Mm -hmm. It is not a Tom Cruise movie. And I think that's where he could get away with that. And I think it really is a matter of not just the director and the writer using him that way, but Tom Cruise himself knowing, okay, I can do this and I can get away with this because this isn't all me. Tropic Thunder is a perfect example of that as well. Yeah. You know, that character that he plays in there, that producer. Oh, less, he he less played version. it so over the top because uh, uh, the director, uh, damn it. Uh, Adam McKay? No, no. Um, ben Stiller basically let him go. Ben yeah. Stiller directed Tropic Thunder. Oh, he's, yeah, yeah. He said, oh, he's like, well, he was kind of confused by what, Cruz was wanting to do it, but he's like, well, you're Tom Cruise. And then they talked about it more, talked about it more, and then they let him go. And also because he's not the focal point of that film, <laughs> right. it really adds to the overall enjoyment of the film because it's not a Tom Cruise part 
Tom Cruise is not known for doing comedy, and, and he, he plays that character. And, he hit it, and everybody watching yeah. it saw Tom Cruise do this and was just like, holy fucking shit. They were yeah. amazed by it. It'll be and, and a total sideline. We've totally gone off the rails. I have to say, yeah. once he reaches the point where he's like, God, I can't do this impossible mission shit anymore you know well, but that's it'll his baby be, he loves doing that i know though. but once he physically hits oh, yeah. that point where he can't do it anymore it'll be interesting to see what shit he what character stuff he actually picks up oh look at the uh schwarzenegger yeah he does some good performances and some stuff that where he's totally not an action star yeah he's just yeah. like this God. Yeah, and very well, self-aware is a good example of that yeah very self-aware understanding what he can do, what he can't do. It's it, it it is it's so funny when you look back on these guys where in the eighties it was just like hardy har har, they don't know what the fuck they're doing, but they're in these big action movies and they're making the bajillions of dollars, getting paid in fucking Lear jets. <laughs> yeah. And then here it is decades later and it's like, holy shit, these motherfuckers knew what they were doing. <laughs> well, I was, really kind, yeah. of, I was really kind of hoping after 42 that we'd enter the era of Harrison Ford character actor. But we kind of <laughs> haven't done that yet. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's also funny because uh, I think part of it is uh, he seems like he's he, he is still enjoying it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm serious. I, I seriously meant it when Wait, I said Ford? it. Ford, yeah, Harrison Ford. He he's just so tired. I but 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 he, Force Awakens, he actually looked like he was enjoying himself mm -hmm. more than I'd seen him in a in a bunch of movies, and I kind of felt that as well with uh, Dial of Destiny. Mm -hmm. You know, he he was actually enjoying himself doing the movie. He said he had a fun time on the set. Yeah, so, and, I mean... and so I think so long as that goes on, he keeps doing that. But you're right, Steve, because he could... He's got it too. Mosquito Coast regarding Henry. Oh, yeah. You know that the man can do some some character work that could actually uh, uh, cowboys and aliens yeah he yeah. was a f it, the, the movie was what, i don't the think movie. there was a question that ford could do character work it was yeah. more we're talking more of the uh will i was i was just take the was, opportunity the, the, yeah. the schwarzeneggers and the yeah, yeah, yeah tom yeah. cruises and but it'd be nice yeah. to I think, see what comes you know ford getting into doing some of that and enjoying playing the older character yeah. uh he's on that tv show shrinking where yes. he's and he is so funny in that. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like you can tell oh, that go. he's enjoying himself Good. playing those parts. Yeah, there we go. That's he's okay. Okay. Yeah. We're getting so fine. yeah, I, I had I didn't know about that. So there, okay, mea culpa. But it's it's on Apple TV, so no, it's not. Well, that explains well, that. fucking no Apple. Fucking different. Going, going back to Call of Cthulhu. Um, it is one of the H.P. Lovecraft stories that does end. It, it is an adventure, and it does end in a semi-hopeful thing. So it actually, to do a first big-budget H.P. Lovecraft thing, that's probably a good one to go with. Because it is seminal. Well, how about you, Shock Monkeys? How much cheese can you eat? Write to us. Comments at GeekShockPodcast.com. No pictures. And I want to thank our Tier 3 members, Dan Seklasa, Daniel Loser, Adrian Kirsch, Major Meh, Michael Hoffman, Azrael175, Mohan Nair, The Microscoop, Microscoop, Steve Biggs, Elena Nupp. I really had to cancel that. Thing. Kenton Miller, Asia Shockey, <laughs> Alexander West, 
Gourmet Geek and Leon Cox. And of course, our tier four members, Deb T and J.R. Conkel. And our tier five members, Jeff Harris, Aussie Matt, Mad Martron, Glumley, Atomic Gumby. And of course, our brand new tier two members, Gelato Steve and Guren Gunstint. I think I said that right. And we see you too, Dave Rader. Thank you so very much. And uh, special thanks to our theme song creator, Sam Heffernan. That song's called The Burning Light. You can find it at SWH Music. Happy birthday, Sam. Yay! On Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitch. And, of course, you, dear listener, which is the whole reason why we do this. And, of course, Microscoop, congratulations on finding the secret word on the last episode. And for you Kofi members that want us to uh, discuss that uh, year-end episode, that's what we're going to talk about in Aftershock. So, Kofi members, stay tuned for that. Yes, Aftershock. that's right. I'm using it. I'm keeping it, Kay. That's m- forever. Who else? I just saw somebody else, a podcaster, go, stay tuned. And I was like, okay. It's just the thing. <laughs> it's just too good. <laughs> you know what I mean. Until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. I can't eat cheese. <laughs> With Professor Biggs and his block of cheese. Professor. 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 That's already taking effect. That, that's the cheese talking. <laughs> I knew he was a mutant. <laughs> you can only be a mutant to have that much cheese. Yes, mm. cheese. That's my special power. <laughs> I have to live vicariously through you. You Just you eating cheese. Everything else, no. Talk to you next. <laughs> that's hey. okay, because that cheese lives vicariously through Steve. Oh. How are you? Hey, Andy, do you have a comment on Steve eating the block of cheese? Andy, Andy. I was going to play a voicemail from Andy, but I realized I would I would be pulling a Steve Biggs. Wait, 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 hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I, I, I almost got it. Wait, hold on. So I decided not to. Just trust me. It's just a lot of mumbling. And he never got back to me about what it is the actually. I hope it's not important. <laughs> it's been two fucking days, Andy. <laughs> and he's in a car a, on the edge of a cliff. Oh, uh, you're gonna start God, Barry, no, You know what it was? He was trying to figure out how to get onto the uh, to the group chat on uh, Game Board Arena. Probably <laughs> to find out how to get off Sunday after at like noon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was at lunch. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. So you're saying you're at lunch, you're not available? Get off the group. I was not available. No. I I so fucking See how you hope. Are. I so fucking hope that's exactly what happened. I really can't wait to hear. I was in a car accident. I needed Barry's help. Wait, what the fuck can I do? I'm up states away eating an Italian sub. <laughs> it's good. The sub was the important part of that yes. story. Yes. <laughs> and that it was an Italian sub. It was good.